0: I have always believed that my voice and my being was to make other people hopeful, was to make other people happy.
1: Welcome to Third Culture Africans, the lifestyle podcast for dreamers, thinkers, and doers. We celebrate artistry, share stories from those brave enough to create something and succeed, listen to diverse perspectives on African success and those shifting the needle on culture. I'm Zezo Ariaki sao your host. On this week's episode of Third Culture Africans, my guest is Debola Williams, aka Debola Lagos, also known as the man with the golden touch. He is an impressive character who is not afraid to use his voice to inspire change. He's a believer of solving cultural tensions and believes in lean entrepreneurship and has empathy and compassion at the forefront of his work. I hope you find this episode as interesting as I did sitting with Debola and talking more about the role of media and his work and his journey in our culture. Hi, Debola, Thank you for joining us on this week's episode of Third Culture Africans.
0: Thanks for having me, Z.
1: There was this whole discussion around getting you on the show around what a Third Culture African actually is and going to school in Jand or Yankee from the mutual friend who connected us.
0: Yes, there was.
1: (laughs) What's crazy is that seems to come up now and again, but it's definitely something that, if given the opportunity, I like to address as when i first thought of the concept very much what i found was a correlation between and even i guess within our own african countries or even within the same country you have a merging of cultures so maybe you might be from you know somewhere in in the east but born in lagos and then you know you speak Yoruba or influenced by the yoruba culture etc so i think even within Africa, we have third culture Africans within ourselves, and the concept is just built around third culture kid being that you know you are born somewhere different to where your parents are from, um, and then influenced by a different culture there. Mm, there I heard on. that in, so, the,
0: in the in the one I, I listened to with uh, Chinaza.
1: Yes, yes, because yeah, Chinaza had yeah, we we, we kind of touched on it there. A Chibundu, you mean?
0: Yes, that was the question I had to listen to.
1: Ah, uh, yeah. So I'm loving being able to explore different facets of what that means, um, because I think even within ourselves as Africans, we're so diverse, and our influences are so diverse. And your story rings very true of someone forging a path within the continent. And being able to to do purposeful work on the ground, but also amplify that message to the rest of the world in a way that they get the context and understanding of what's happening on the ground in Africa. So for, I guess, the very few people who would be tuning into this episode that don't know who Debola Williams, a.k.a. Debola Lagos is, you're an entrepreneur, journalist, political activist, a speaker had a lot of success in marketing and comms and PR and especially media. I'm not sure if I have gotten all of that right. AKA the man with a golden touch. Do you resonate with any of those or?
0: Well, that's what, that's what he says out there.
1: (laughs) I've written down that your superpower, again, I I don't know. I I love comic books and hero figures and Marvel. So I've Mm -hmm. written down your superpower is getting the world to see you and your causes.
0: I think it's more getting the world to to just pay attention to causes uh, because I think that uh, every one of us is gifted with a voice and mm-hmm. the voice is not our own. We're gifted the voice to be able to gift back to other people and your gift mm-hmm. to them is by being their voice You know, because we're born in, in societies and the world that are not equal and our job is to lift other people out of inequality. And our job is to, you know, use our influence to get equity. So the idea of driving attention to causes, you know, is is the essence of my being, of my existence. I'm, I'm supposed to be a bridge, you know. And I, I think not just me, I think everyone is, you know. So you go to school, you go to school for the community. You, know, you build a business, you build a business for the community. You know, everything we do is about, about everybody, it's about a a, a bigger, you know, space for us to impact.
1: Well, you hope that is the case, right? Because not not everyone is conscious or intentional of actually businesses are meant to be solutions to a problem. So we must keep talking about. This podcast is sponsored by Malay Natural Science. Malay's products are inspired by the rich landscapes, alluring scents, and ancient wisdom of Africa. Their luxurious fragrance and body care range balances 100% natural active ingredients and scientifically proven formulas to heal, protect, and pamper your skin. Malay ships worldwide, and you can buy their products at maleeonline.com. They also offer a free sample if you'd like to try.
0: There are many yeah. businesses that have sprung from solving problems, even in Nigeria, on the continent. Yeah. We just might not yeah. have as many, you know, but problems yeah. are opportunities, you know, crises are Very opportunities. True. You know, when there's a crisis, yeah. like like at the moment, you know, the world is in a crisis, but this crisis will mm-hmm. come with problems and those problems need to be solved. And those who can solve those yeah. problems can make, you know, good mega bucks from solving those problems, but at the same time, you know, helping the world. And then, creating jobs. If you lose a job in the pandemic and you start a business to solve problems of the pandemic, you're going to be helping the society. And then you have to hire people for that job to be executed. You're going to be helping the unemployment. Then you're going to be moving money around for the economy. So, you know, you like it or not, you're going to be part of the problems of society one way or the other. But then the consciousness helps you determine the scale, helps you determine how far you go, Helps you determine, you know, when you then can be selfless. So beyond just doing the barest minimum of starting a business, can I throw in a bit more that can help society? Can I create a chunk of my profit and move it to education? Can I take a chunk of my profit and move it to a soup kitchen? You know, can I educate other young people in technology so that there can be more people like myself? You know, so our company, for example, we have a platform called Red X, which we founded a couple mm-hmm. of years ago. And the idea of Red X is to train You know, the next generation of media professionals like ourselves, smart, brilliant young people, 19, 20, 21, 22, you know, who'd march into places and do wonders, who would engage Mm. with CEOs and governors, you know, who would be fearless like I was when I was 19, you know, and who would be photographers and editors and producers Mm. because the media is shaping the world. Pop culture yeah. shapes everything from the clothes you wear to the things you watch on, on screen to TikTok, Instagram. It's all powered by the media. So mm-hmm. how do we train a new generation of people? So we are conscious of that. All our lives, all our businesses, 15 years has been rooted in building up a generation, but that's because we are aware. So there is one thing for you to start a business which would, by accident or consciousness, you know, help the society there is another thing to then be aware and then even be more deliberate. You know, so I think, you know, what you might be speaking to is that intent, that being deliberate to then, you know, ensure positive impact in society.
1: Yeah, because statistically, right, the, the reason why a large portion of young Africans start businesses is to change their own personal circumstances. I don't think a a lot of young African entrepreneurs start with understanding, one, the power they have in the wider ecosystem. And I think that's a huge part of your work that brings that consciousness to the fore. Two, they're not necessarily thinking, you know, how do I then make an impact on, you know, education or any of those things? Because at first they're just trying to make it you know, they're just trying to make it and achieve, you know, in air quotes, success, which for everyone, that's completely variable. I gain a lot of, I guess, value within myself, knowing that as a business, you know, we help make the dreams of young kids who don't have the opportunities because they come from impoverished communities, their parents are illiterate, and the school system fails them because they have no one to go home to who can do homework with them. But we support a charity that goes within the school curriculum and essentially gives them lesson teachers and gives them tutors. And these children go on to be upstanding students who can get bursaries to private school education and can be in a position to change their own futures and perhaps you know the future of their families and, and, and relatives after them. But I can say that I started my business knowing exactly what I wanted to do in the sense that I had the opportunity of moving to a country and seeing that even within ourselves, we weren't even celebrating what was beautiful and having someone like you in your work where it's not just even about celebrating Africa's beauty, but it's also very youth focused and empowering the youth to understand where their power lies and how they can use that for the betterment, not just of themselves, but for everyone else. And I think that's very unique. It's certainly very unique from a activism perspective. I think at the moment the world is very much charged towards, you know, the consciousness of being active, right? COVID has given all all of us the time to sit and reflect on what matters, right? The things that have mattered the most in COVID cost no money, to be able to check in on a friend, to be able to send a lovely message to a loved one, a video message to someone who, you know, is probably having a hard time with it. Th- those things don't cost, right? You don't have to be a millionaire for those things to matter. But those are the things that have mattered the most in this time period. Now, before COVID, this has been your work. Intentional or unintentional, it seems you continue to... Put your money where your mouth is by not just speaking it, but actively being in the rooms where those changes can be made and can happen. For Mm. you, has that always been intentional, every step? Every step. Incredible. So I guess we can dial into, I guess, early Dibola. So you were born into a wealthy family. And then what exactly happened that changed, I guess, the trajectory to then from wealth to no wealth, and then having to figure out life from that perspective in your teens?
0: My mom took ill. I think it started between when I was, uh, I think, about five to eight, I think, in that range. Took ill and then Mm. finally turned on its head, I think when I was about eight. And then things took a downturn. And then we moved from our house, which was like, quote unquote, uh, the castle with high walls, because
1: mansion
0: <laughs> no 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 no. that was not it it was just the idea because we were never let out so we were always locked in and we would watch other kids play on the streets licking sweets that if you grew up in nigeria <laughs> you might know things like balewa and babadudu kulikuli and all of we were kulikuli,
1: Yeah, my grandma used to we make were
0: <laughs> from eating those kinds of things we couldn't touch them you know, we couldn't go near those kinds of things. We would watch mm. from the window because our mother was barely ever around, and so mm. uh, the only way she could guard us was by locking us up. So when she mm. wasn't around, then we would, once in a while, if we can, you know, sneak out and get into trouble by eating any of those sweets and, and things like that.
1: Oh, mine was boiled granot, and I paid woefully with Daria several
0: <laughs> times. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> So, you know, we would end up having to do parties every day. I remember every day would be one of my siblings' birthday, to kill mm. boredom, and we would open a Fanta ginger ale or a Fanta tonic, the brown mm. bottle and the green bottle. So it was really old, you know, so yeah, young, but I can yeah. remember vividly, you know, I remember we always had family, you know, a breakfast, lunch, and dinner when my parents were around. Mm. And, and for dinner, we would have something we called ojojo which is water um. yam, fried water yam. I hated it so much. And so I would always take mine and sneak it under the, the, the table and stuff it in <laughs> the bottles of tonic under the table. But anyway, you know, we had, you know, a room full of toys, maids, uh, about four maids. We had four kids, you know, drivers and all of that. My mom was, was such an interesting woman. Uh, some of our maids got married, you know, mm. from her home. She did oh, well. the wedding for them, you know, set them up, you know. And so, so, so that's one thing that I've learned. So, you know, when I started hiring domestics, you know, oh. um, my, my friends always wondered why I was so tolerant of domestics, you know, why, you know, I'd have a chef and everyone who would come to my house would be like, we don't like this guy. Like, <laughs> just need him. He cooks, or, he cooks well, we can live with his character. But, you know, that was because I grew up with a mother who, mm. you know, could accommodate everyone, you know, and what our parents mm. used to say, you know, you know, I, they had a forgiven type of spirit, you know, they had a spirit mm. where, you know, you can't be so bad as a person, you know, and if you were my mm. child, I will not throw you away. So anyway, all of that honeymoon came to an end. We had to move from the house, move to mm. extended family house with my mom's father and his wife mm. and her half-siblings. And yeah, life changed. You know, the cars disappeared, the drivers disappeared, the maids were gone.
1: So, so everyone who your, who your mum had shown good fortune to also disappeared? No, 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 it wasn't, it wasn't in a bad
0: faith. She just she, she couldn't keep them. So, it wasn't in mm. bad faith. It was just like, listen, you know, guys, I can't keep you anymore. And then in the mm. family house, we didn't necessarily need them as such. We, I'm sure we already looked like sport kids to other people anyway. So nobody... They weren't trying to encourage it either. <laughs> exactly. Like some maids will follow you here and start tending to you. Hell no. Also, our mother didn't raise us that way by the way. So even though mm-hmm. they were maids at home, many of them, she still made us work, made us clean up. The driver could yeah. beat anyone that misbehaved. The maids could flog anyone that misbehaved. <laughs> so if the maid had to flog you or the driver had to flog you, then it meant that my mom would flog you again. Wow. For making the maid flog you. Yeah. So, you know, we, so even though they were maids, you know, we are wearing waist to also be spot, you know, and so mm. the maids were like aunties. The driver was uncle. Yeah. You yeah. Know, that was how we were brought up.
1: So, where did the part of you start to carve out into? I guess you touched on your mom's relationship and her need for, I guess, her role in being an empowerer to everyone around her, but your passion for change and I guess, merging politics, media. Where did that come from for you? Did you have passions to be an actor? Where did the passion for media come from?
0: You already answered it. Actor. Oh, wow. I'm sure you saw that somewhere, (laughs) already.
1: Like I said to you
0: about being deliberate with my voice. Um, Mm -hmm. When I turned 30, my family was being interviewed about my life. And my sister said something I'd never heard before in the interview said, "Oh, you know, when things went south for my family, she, like everyone else, were worried about it. They wondered how was I going to survive? How was I going to go from Kellogg's to Nasco? Now, if you grew up in Nigeria, you would know that Nasco. Yeah, there's a huge difference. Was it was locked with some families, but it was locked with some families. Now, Mm -hmm. my family was wondering how I was going to cope from Kellogg's and Rice Krispies to Nasco." What yeah. I didn't realize was that Gary was waiting in front.
1: Mm. So mm. it was going to
0: drop so bad that even NASCO would be luxury to me. But that's yeah. not the, the point. The point is, my sister then said that to her amazement, while they were wondering how I would cope with the change of palate, I was more concerned about everybody else. And I, at eight, mm. was telling everyone, don't worry, everything will be okay. Don't worry, everything wow. will be okay. And I would pray for my mom every day. I would sit behind her back and I would rub her back and I would sing for her and I would pray for her and I would ask God for mercy. You know, I would tell her not to worry, everything would be okay. I was eight. And so I have always believed, always believed that my voice and my being was to make other people hopeful, was to make other people happy was to help other people fulfill their dreams, become all that they can be that they have not yet become. And so as a young teenager in school, um, or as a young kid in primary school, you know, I would be in drama, I would want to do spelling competitions, I would want to do literature and debating, You know, I would want to, 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 to have a voice to, to speak about issues, to dramatize and act about values. I would want to tell people about you know, greatness and opportunities. And so at some point in my life, I thought my key to be able to express all of this would be acting. So I tried to be an actor. I went from audition to audition, location to location. I was in my teens between 14 and 16, I think. I would show up at auditions, and the only teenagers on the audition ground would come with their aunties, their uncles, or their parents. I would come by myself. Mm. I would read roles that were above my age. Of course, they knew I wouldn't get the role, but they just humor me. I, I look back and I even wonder what I was thinking when I did those things. But I did.
1: So you were always fearless even then?
0: By the grace of God. I didn't understand the concept of fear. I, mean, I, I was sure it was, it was not being afraid. I think it was just being desperate to to get my voice out there. So mm-hmm. it, I, I don't think it was the lack of fear. It was a presence of courage. Mm-hmm. It was a presence of passion and drive and hunger. Mm-hmm. And when you have those mm-hmm. things, fear becomes nothing. You know, I, I was already down. I, I could fail no fall and that's why the best time to do things in life to start things in life is your morning time in your morning time you have not much at, at, at stake you're not worried about too much shame many times in our life at 30 at 40 we're worried about what people will say what people will think how they will look upon you how they will judge you when you're in your teenage years when you're in your early 20s you don't care about what people think about you so you can take risks. you can dress as you want you can you know, I, I was never that child who grew up being overtly conscious to look. I, I would make do the best and look as best as I can. And I would walk with my shoulders high, my head up, as if I'm the best just in the room. And you would not like me for it either. Like because as you're concerned, you rebel at me. But I, I, I knew that I was special. And I was mm. special because I had a mission, a mission to help, a mission to save the world. And it was such an important mission that I couldn't be bothered. By your pettiness that's focused on yourself. Because if you're focused on a bigger mission, I won't be your problem. Your problem will be the people who are hungry. Your problem will be the people who are hopeless, who don't know who they are, who they need to find who they are. But if you have the minute to focus on me, what I'm wearing, how I look, then my friend, you don't have a problem. You don't have a mission in my and So I'm not here for you. Anyway, Mm -hmm. so I try to be an actor because I thought the early days of Nollywood, if you remember, Nollywood was about morals and values. That's what you went to to watch, I don't, don't do this. Don't be a bad
1: person. the beautiful serpent. Oh, was it pretty? (laughs) (laughs) Pretty (laughs) serpent.
0: Anyway. Oh god! uh, Iconic movie that was.
1: So you you were basically conscious of wanting to act then?
0: Because I thought it would give me the platform to add values to shape the my society to be able to share the kind of values I want to see in the society. So I thought that was my platform to do that. Yes. And that's why if your passion is so big, yeah, you will find every way to get there. You know, my mother always said, and that means one way does not lead to success. And that is why the tailor also sells pap. So I'm trying to build wealth and I'm a tailor, a designer. But when you come to my store, you can also find some things to buy on your way because it's about mm. wealth building. The other translation or the literal translation of the proverb is not one road leads to the market. There are many roads to the market. So I want to go to the market. I can come from mm. the east or the west or the north or the south. So I mm. had the passion. The passion was to help people, was to give people a mm. voice, was to help them accomplish, realize
1: themselves. Was there a pivotal moment where that became clear to you? That, did you have an experience that said, hey, there's a lot of people here who don't have the voice, who need a champion? Was there something you saw? We all saw it growing up, right? And I guess we're both Nigerians, so.
0: I might have, but I can't picture it. I might have. If I go by what my family say, I've been like mm. that since I was a kid. When I was a little boy, mm. I always told them I would be a pastor. They say, why? I say, because oh, wow. I want to evangelize to the world. And mm. I think I was about five or so. And they would call everyone and say, come, come, come. They would all do you want to be. And I'll tell them, i to be a pastor. So, so now a pastor, I mean, what I understand as a pastor is a shepherd, supposed to serve, supposed to guide, protect, you know, he's not supposed to be high up, supposed to you know, have whatever they have, but it's supposed to be for the community. So you have that big church, but a big church, you know, is giving food, shelter, clothing. So I can't say about the moment, but I might find that moment a couple of years down. And it's, this is important because, you know, I look back in my life sometimes and I tell some stories that are just making sense to me now. So Mm -hmm. life is a journey and the the things you're doing are all connected. It Mm -hmm. might not make sense to you wholly now, but keep doing it. Mm -hmm. It will come together. You know, I mean, I've looked back in my life in the last couple of years, I realized that I gave my life to Christ when I was 14. And it was when I was 14 that I decided to start leaving home to go and find a path for myself. So it then made sense to me Mm -hmm. to connect to the fact that it was the year I gave my life to Christ that I decided to find my path. And what does Christianity do or do? Christianity helps you Find the newness helps you reach your core, your essence, and helps you flourish as a person. And my life is Hmm. supposed to be a symbol, supposed to be a light, a city, and salt. And so I'm supposed to add salt to the world, and that's why I'm doing all I'm doing. So anywhere I go, I must add value. Salt brings taste, salt brings value. Food without salt is useless. And then, light, I must show people an example. And then, as a city on the hill, city on the hill is success that God will give Mm. me success. And so it's instructive to me when I realized about two, three or four years ago that, oh, wait, I gave my life to Christ at 40. And when I was 14, I started leaving home to go and find my path. But I never connected Mm. that for 16 years. So everything we do in life unravels our journey and our stories are never complete. So I don't know that moment, but but I'm sure I will find it. But to just hit the nail on the head, As regards, you know, pivoting. I realized that I could get to the market through other parts. I just needed a platform that can reach mass audiences. And that was what I did. So I started looking for those platforms. Platforms that could, you know, reach many people. And so I started trying to be on a TV show. I wanted to be a TV presenter. I approached a friend um, who lived down the street of my home. And Mm -hmm. she didn't see me. She saw me as a person, but she didn't see me as a presenter. I saw her on TV. I tried to be her friend. Mm. So I befriended her. I reached out. You know, I tried all I could until I became a friend. When I became a friend, yeah. then I, I told her, I said, I see you do this. I'm interested. Oh, never. You can't do that. I said, no problem. Then I went to look for other opportunities. I kept hanging around the media. When you have a dream, when you have a passion, you've got to hang around the things you dream about. You've got to hang around the things you're passionate about. You've got to hang around. You've got to. So I was hanging mm. around different live shows, opera-like shows in Nigeria. Insider with Agatha, new dog with Fumi Yoda. And so I would be anchored at NTA. But this is as a teenager. Yes, as a teenager. But I was so bold. I would go in there, I would talk to the presenters, I would
1: ask questions.
0: You would know I'm in the room.
1: But my question is this, right? So I guess for any young kid, especially in Nigeria, right? Like the odds are against you, Mm. but you didn't feel this? It wasn't something that was, this wasn't a part of your consciousness at all?
0: I saw it. It was there. Mm. But it was not for me to be concerned about. It was for me to figure out my way. <laughs> mm. like, so, so wait, wait. I'm going to take tea, the teacup and then, oh God, look at this problem. And I'm going to have a cup of tea. Oh God, look at this problem. We have a sip. Oh, look at that. No, the problems are there. It will always be there.
1: By and large, I'm sure a lot of like your interviews always start with, oh, but how did you do it? you know you must be a magical human being to have done it right when any young entrepreneur who's gained success in their field you know uh, this is a common question how did you do it right like how were you able to do it and for the most part my answer is you just do right and and essentially what you're saying is you were just doing but that just doing hanging around tv sets is completely different to owning red media statecraft the future awards why niger you know being a part of presidential elections yeah, we haven't gotten Africa. there
0: yet we're still in the beginning
1: okay <laughs> okay what i'm trying to understand is how big is the dream as a teenager hanging around oprah tv shows is it just i can make a difference being the next male oprah on this platform or are you already thinking i can make impact in politics at this point
0: oh now i'm thinking politics I've just always been focused on people, and I've always looked for platforms that help me reach as many people as possible. The platforms is never the issue. The platform is not the goal. The goal is the people. And once the goal is the people, we will always find platforms, moments, channels to reach that goal. So the goal is bigger than every platform we have been on, we have built, and that we're still yet to build. There is a bigger mission. There is a bigger platform that is going to help achieve the mission. And so if I connect quickly to you, you know, my entire journey from trying to be an actor to being a presenter of Youth Talk on NTA, which I did for free for, you know, in the beginning, instead paying. Now, because I did that NTA show, remember the woman I told you, I tried to get her to give me her show to present. She then gave me a job because she saw me. So when I build that relationship, She didn't give me the job. She didn't have faith in me. I didn't stop. I went to those other talk shows. I built confidence by sitting in audiences and speaking as an audience. From there, I got a gig to present on MTA in a youth show. She saw me on that youth show, and then she gave me an economy show to present at 17. I was talking about ports and the economy. Of course, I didn't know jack about it. And then from there, I moved on to be a producer. For an international TV show that was shown in Nigeria, in the UK and in the US, which was about Nigerian life around the world, showing Nigerians abroad, how Nigeria has evolved, how Nigeria has become better, so that they can move back, and then showing Nigerians here how tough it can be living abroad to discourage illegal migration. So we're only showcasing those people who are working legally and succeeding, and then showing them the other ones who are trapped, so that they can make their Mm. choices. So, I've always found the platform, the, the TV show, the youth show was about young people, helping young people be their best self. Now, we own a show on Channels TV, which is the biggest mm-hmm. news channel in Nigeria. And we mm-hmm. own a show on it called Robin Minds, which is presented by Ebuka, the big brother guy. Mm-hmm. And it's the longest running youth TV show on this biggest TV platform in Nigeria. It's been running now for mm-hmm. 11 years. But this was a dream mm-hmm. I had when I was 16. When we started Younger Nigerian in The Guardian, we were doing youth talk on NTA. We were doing partitos, guys. We have done many shows. And then today we have Robin Mind, We have Jollof. We have With Today. We have Church Culture. We have Going On 21. We have several TV content now because it's always been a dream to use media to change the world. An extension of that is the PR company. So you can use content, but you cannot be the strategist that create multiple content. And also bringing other content platforms and other channels to help change behavior still for a brand, for a government, for a product. So my goal has always been about people, dedicated to people, changing behaviors, helping them be better. And the channels to reach the largest amount of people at any point in time is the media. And that's why it's those two things. So at any point in time, it's politics. You never know. When we started the Future I was 15 years ago, we wanted to create a platform that conveyed the power of young people, that made other young people see great young people like themselves, the power of imagery, the same conversation about having black Barbie, the same conversation about having black representation on Hollywood big screen. We wanted young people to be in a room full of themselves, successful, powerful, limitless. And that became a catalyst for many more young people in Nigeria. And many things were founded between 2000 and 2005 because that was the moment the future was, began to show young people all they could be. That wasn't necessarily a media platform, but we used the media to amplify the stories. And so the media was what we used to then drive that mass mentality change and then built an ecosystem of powerful young people. And then in 2010, there were these young people you know, who were just passionate about making their business work passionate about succeeding. Mm. And so they were encouraged to come with us to a march that put their lives at risk because they realized that if they didn't go and face the death, the danger out there, it was going to come to their business. It was already straining them. It was already Mm. standing on their necks. Mm. We had no president for five months. We had the worst electricity supply. Just was burning. There was a knee on our necks as young entrepreneurs in this country that year, between October, November and March. So in March, March, 2010, we moved this young professionals' young entrepreneur. It was the first time in a long time that you'd have that crop of young people come out. It's usually the student unions and the guys who were looked upon as no good. They hadn't seen this type of young guys who were passionate, who were driven, who had something to live for, but chose to be out there in the sun.
1: Well, the question is this, right? I, I guess in our culture for a long time, entrepreneurship was always seen to be reserved for the privileged. Or for people who didn't choose entrepreneurship but had no other choice but this being their way of earning earning to be able to provide? Entrepreneurship
0: had always been with us and had always been with young people, but it was looked upon as people who had some kind of wherewithal and then they started a business. Or people were trying to survive at the bottom of the pyramid and they were trying mm-hmm. to do petty trading. But mm-hmm. there were young people when we started the Future Awards who were running T-shirt businesses, who were running cyber mm. cafes, who were painting, who were photographing, but nobody told us who we were. And that's the power of selling hope. That's the power of telling people what they are that they do not realize. That's the power of affirmation. That's the power of bringing together a collective. That's the power of representation. We started representing young people to young people and say, listen, if you have a T-shirt business, you are not a T-shirt maker, you are an entrepreneur. Mm. If you're a photographer, you run a photography business. So Mm. we changed the game. We changed how young people saw themselves. The moment they saw themselves as who they truly are, they became so powerful, you couldn't stop them. So when we said, let us go and match those who do not want you to succeed and go beyond where you are now, those who are putting a ceiling over your head, they were passionate enough, they were ready to come with us to Abuja. Of course, not without doubt, fear and resistance. And from doing yeah. that in Abuja in 2010, it gave birth to a slew of youth-led advocacies. Youth-led advocacies now became more powerful. Because after that march, the power of the youth was finally unleashed. And for the first time in Nigeria, since democracy, a city president left the political capital and came to the business capital in 2011 to dine and wine with young people. Suddenly, everyone realized that we were the demographic to toast. Because of that match, Born from the Future Awards, a movement we started five years earlier.
1: But that seems crazy, given the fact that statistically, you know, the youth population is a huge part of the population.
0: Yes, but they had always engaged us differently. Mm,
1: mm. They had
0: always engaged us differently. It'd
1: I, I, I it you know. had always been the student
0: union. It would always been the guys who we sent as dogs. that never been the guys we want to sit with and hear. They never saw us. They only used us.
1: Do you feel like technology has a role to play in that? Would you have been able to have the same impact without social media, without the role of that in pop culture, in advocacy, as we're seeing it play out even more recently today with Black Lives Matter, etc.?
0: Social has definitely brought democracy to voice. It's given voice share to our generation. It's like the Davidic stone and sling to Goliath's armor and shield. For the longest time, our voices were not heard because we didn't have our own platforms. And part of our mission has always been to create platforms that were for young people, by young people. When we started Youth Talk in the early 2000s, it was to create a youth program that was done by young people that spoke to youth issues and spoke truth to the older folks. And that's what evolved into Robin Knight. When we created Younger Nigeria, it was to also speak about the issues, but also to highlight and promote successful young people. When we started YNiger.com, we realized that there were quite a number of news platforms. Some said they were targeting the youth population, but they didn't have the youth voice. So we came up with YNiger.com, owned by young people. All the voices were youth voices, but the brightest and the best of young people. So what the social media has done, what internet has done, is to give a base for several platforms and voices that shape our generation and gives us a platform to get our grievances out, to connect, create opportunities and collaborate. So social media has been a blessing to the democratization of our society today.
1: It's definitely a tool that you use beautifully in your work and you use certainly for change. Now, a young person who's out there with the hopes of starting a business, has a venture, and is wondering, how do I create this reach for myself? Any advice?
0: Be relentless about your passion, and the universe will connect you to opportunities.
1: But in the context of media, obviously no one's hanging around TV studios anymore now, can't, in COVID. I
0: think what I just said has been my key, and that's the best piece of advice I can do. I can unpack it, you know, but I find that many times, there yeah, are too many simple things that we allow fly over our heads because we like mm. big explanation. We like complex solutions to simple problems. Z, my relentlessness taught me humility. My relentlessness taught me patience. Mm. My relentlessness forced me to leave my parents' home and go out and find opportunities forced me to trek miles to opportunities, forced me to hang around either physically or virtually the places where I thought could connect me to opportunities. My Mm -hmm. relentless forced me to serve other people. My relentlessness forced me to go and knock on doors that young people like myself dared not go because I was hungry, I was passionate, and nothing was going to stop me. And that's what that simple statement means. It's your choice how you want to interpret it.
1: Now, I think beautifully put. Of late, there's been a bit of consciousness in your work around Pan African collaboration and wanting to amplify that message beyond Nigeria's borders and further on. Now, for you, is that just another level in the evolution of your vision? And is that as a result of the relationships you've acquired over the last two decades of, of, of working?
0: We've always had our eyes on the continent. We always said we wanted to make all of this impact on the continent. Nigeria was our model, was our case study. From conquering Nigeria, the next frontier was to conquer the continent. We've always said that the world will come and look for us because of our African dominance. We didn't say we wanted to go and open companies in America. Or, you know, we always said, you know, our eyes was focused on building up our continent, on helping our people become all that it can be, that is much to come. And Mm. we tested it in Nigeria, and we're replicating it across the country. Hopelessness, helplessness is all around the country. We want to change that. We've done it in Nigeria. Elections, the political space needs radical change. We want to change that. Media, shaping perception, changing behaviors, we want to build And it's the same thing we've done all our lives, at least my life. It's it's Mm. almost been about young people since I was a kid. So it's been about empowering. So it's been about speaking to them. So it's been about showing them. So it's when i connecting them. And that's what we're still doing.
1: And I think there's service in that work, right? Because we're not historically great at documenting these stories. We're not historically great at having them easily accessible so that for the next generation or the peer or the next young person who decides that they have big dreams, there are reference points for them to kind of see who's done that before how they did it, and actually your dreams are valid. And I think a huge part of your work is very much about validating that and also having people understand that scale is possible. Scale is possible out of Africa. Scale is possible within politics. You can make a change. There is a difference. I don't know if you get told this a lot, but the value in the work that you do is very much appreciated. And I think your success within the different fields speaks to that, but that hasn't stopped you from continuing to want to continue to make a difference. There's one thing we haven't talked about, which is your iconic uniform that you wear. You choose to, in public, wear a uniform, which is, it's not a full Agbada, right, that you wear.
0: It depends, so every day it's uh, two-piece, when I have to make uh, my parents, uh, Speaking engagement celebration, then it's a three-piece. And on some days, when I just feel happy, I just throw the three-piece to work.
1: But it must be white. Yes,
0: because it, so it began from just carrying my identity as a Nigerian, as an African, everywhere I went to. Suddenly, I realized about six years ago or seven years ago, 2014, I realized I had a voice. Suddenly, we've all always had a voice but you have them on different levels. So I realized that I had opened up my voice onto another play. I was on another level with my voice. And at that Mm -hmm. point, I thought, what was the next thing that I needed to champion in addition to everything I was about? And at that point, it was cultural identity. I've always been passionate about my cultural identity. And on this chat, I'm sure I must have given you like two or three Yoruba proverbs. So I've always been passionate about my culture and my identity. And so at that point in 2014. I was getting a lot of international attention and I thought I needed mm. to go with my identity in my culture. I thought that there was already a lot of stereotype about who mm. my people were and I needed to add one more further onto that stereotype. I wanted them to now begin to stereotype them. And when you're thinking about the prince of Nigeria and they're talking about the prince in their emails, they can also talk about the prince who speaks to kings and presidents and who makes mm. you know powerful presentations and does excellent work around mm. the world. You know, so I wanted to be one of the stereotypes of, of the prince of Nigeria. And I wanted to go into those rooms and walk on the streets of, mm-hmm. of Charles de elysees Oxford Circus, or Manatee. And I wanted them to know me instantly. I didn't want them to be mm-hmm. I don't want them to say he's British, Jamaican, or American Caribbean. <laughs> no. You know, he's African, he's Nigerian. The place where they say you know, what you hear about the prince, yes, that's where he's from. You know, and, and that became important to me. And on that journey, as my voice became louder, I then not even that, oh, I, I also wanted to carry another identity, my company. I wanted to be recognized mm-hmm. for the company that I had built with my car, and the company was red. And I thought, okay, hang on, why, why not wear a red cap, you know, to signify red? And then in, in wearing a red cap, I realized that the color that most suited it was, was white. When I wore the red cap with you know, other colors, I thought it was quite loud. So red and black mm-hmm. was very loud you know, red and navy blue. I really like that, but I thought it was also loud. I thought, you know, mm. white was pure, white was sophisticated, white was, you know, I'm here, but I come in peace. So you mm. see white, but it also says to you, you know, not pressure, sure, I'm here in peace, I'm here to collaborate, and that was what formed the combination. And then it was also the ease, the ease of walking through my wardrobe and not having to think about blue shirt, black trousers, navy blue what jacket, tie combination, red tie, Am I wearing the suspenders today? Am I wearing belts today? Am I using a bow tie? Am I using a strip tie? Socks. And then when I hit the most, shoelaces. <laughs> oh dear, oh dear. So this gives me freedom. You know, in my culture, it's freedom. I don't have to tie anything on my neck. You know, I can wear my shirt, which is my trouser. My, I wear my trouser, which is my trousers. My Your pants. shokoto. Isn't my that shokoto? shokoto. shokoto. Yeah. My shirt, which is my booba My tie, which is my cap. And if you want me to wear a jacket, I wear my umbrella. And I'm fully formal to your royal I discussed dinner.
1: Amazing. So the name Devala Lagos, aka Devala Lagos, where does that come from? Is, is that you just embodying identity. Lagos and Yes, identity? Okay.
0: It was all about identity. I think I opened my Twitter maybe in 2010. So you can see that this journey of identity was not today. So if I'm talking about mm. changing my outfit in 2013 or 2014 you know mostly native, I i' been paying attention to identity for a long time. So in 2010, I think, when I opened my Twitter, and then 2012, I think, or guess when Instagram came, you know, it was Debala Lagos. I wanted a name that I identified with I kept it, And mm. I lived in Surulere. I was caught between, either tying myself to or to Lagos. And then I chose mm. it. And people have told me several times, oh, you're not devil Africa. Oh, you're not devil of the world. I said, no problem. By God's grace, around Africa, they know of the world, Around the world, when Lagos is the island, you know, so the same thing when, when people said, oh, would you open your company in this country, that way? They will look for Africa. And by God's grace, they will find us, you know, when they look for Africa. So, you know, many times people look out of the window. They fail to look in the mirror. The blessings you're looking for, what you're looking for, is right in the mirror in front of you. But people focus more out of the window, looking at another man's yard. So people say, oh, you must do this, you must do that. It's all in your continent. It's all in your country. It's all in that room. You are the dynamite in that one-bedroom apartment, in Pekka, in the Bronx, wherever you find yourself, no papers, illegal immigrant, you are the dynamite. You are the one thing that will change the equation. If you choose a passion, you choose a purpose, dedicated, relentless, patiently, with humility and the spirit of service, the universe will conspire and it mm. will present you with opportunities. I have it too many times. The universe always conspires. The universe always conspires. And it will create for you the opportunity that will catapult you. And it won't just stop there. If you continue, for every time you get to one stage, a testament that you can get another stage. That staircase, when you take one foot up, you just need to do some more work, some more strength, some more courage, and take the other foot up, then the other foot up. But you've got to lift yourself. You've got to have the courage and the strength to move that feet to the next step. If you don't move it, you're going to stay where you are. You are the change maker, the game changer in this equation of your life.
1: Amazing. Debola, thank you so much for your time today. I'm conscious that I've taken more of it than I said I would. Yeah. Um, where can anyone find you? Obviously, you have tons of videos of a lot of your talks and speeches and things on YouTube. Where can you be found? Um, obviously, there's Beating Corona Africa. Personally,
0: at Debola Lagos on Instagram, at Debola Lagos on Twitter, but I'm more engaged on Instagram. Uh, but you can follow our work, beatingcorona.africa. We have a telephone on the 12th of July. We've created the Beat Corona platform because we believe that this corona season showcased a strong Africa for Africa spirit. Nigerians Mm. can be for Nigerians, Ghanians for Ghanaians, everyone for everyone. And we wanted to symbolize it and Mm. not let that go away without being told. And we also wanted to have powerful conversations about the future. Where are we going from Mm. here on? So on the 12th of July, we have this telethon to unveil all of that, celebrate 100 heroes of the written Corona across the continent. We can also, you know, check the futureafrica.com, which is the awards event we've held for 15 years that has mobilized and built, you know, this new generation of cool, young Africans around the continent who are making change happen. You can follow whyniger.com, which is our content news platform. Uh, you can follow problem Minds, Minds on channels. You can watch channels TV online. Every Sunday, three o'clock. You can see our flagship TV show. You can also check out with Trude, you know, as well. If you just Google with Trude. It's also shows on TVC. Our show on it's a live series on joy and, and finding purpose. Uh, being presented by my partner Trude. and you can also follow him at Trude T on Instagram. He's very big on mental wellness and human fulfillment, you know, through the principles of joy. And uh, so, I think in closing, I'm just going to, to to share a parable of the woman at the well who made the prophet. She was in debt, and he felt like her life was over. And he asked her, what do you have? And she said, oh, she has nothing. And he said, it's not possible. You've got to have something. I said, well, maybe I have a jar of oil. I said, fine, go bring the jar of oil. When she brought the jar of oil, he said, do you have basins? I have one or two. Says, said, go and find all the basins you could find. Now, the first lesson here is, you always have something. So she brought the jar of oil. The second lesson is, she said, go and bring the basins. She needed to go to her neighbor's. To get business. You always need other human beings, especially when you're a startup. Never forget that. Build relationships, solid relationships. The amount of business that woman would have gotten that day would depend on how many people she was in good terms with, how many people she had relationships with. And then she got those business out. Guess what? Thinking cap. She stopped at bringing the business for my friends. But if she had the entrepreneurial spirit, Z, the next thing she would have done was to have said to the young men on the street or women, go to the next street and the next street. Go and borrow me more business. For each business you bring, I will give gift you a jar of oil. That way, she would have bought more business than she ever imagined. She would have been able to get other people to work for her by selling them her dream and giving them a reward. If you build on this principle, you will be unstoppable in life.
1: Thank you. Beautifully said. I think there's a lot of unlearning in that, though, because I guess as young Africans, we're also taught to not share secrets early on, things like that. But I guess in the workings and unlearning and understanding... The secrets
0: works, you've been the keeping, what works. has it done to you?
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, but the reality is that, right? Like you build by sharing. It's good to talk. You know, there was an advert years ago in, in the UK called It's Good to Talk. And very much so, I think for, for sure, I've built my business based on my ability to be able to articulate and share what I'm doing. And somehow it opens doors, even when you're not expecting it. Thank you so much, Debella, for, for giving us your time on this week's episode of Third Culture Africans.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: And be sure to follow Debola and all his amazing work. I'm sure we'll be hearing lots more from you in the coming weeks as the whole world starts to respond to what is an unprecedented time and seeing the great work that you do. Thank you for listening to this episode of Third Culture Africans, the lifestyle podcast. We would love to hear from you. So please find us on Facebook or Instagram at Third Culture Africans and leave us a comment. A review goes a long way in getting our show notice. So please leave us one if you enjoyed this episode and we'll see you next time.